It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything happening in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, on Tuesday's show, we break down all the Division I women's action. And while we aren't yet able to be on YouTube, I can tell all of you listeners, we will be making the debut of this show on our YouTube channel this week. We'll have ITF kickoff weekend previews for you both Wednesday, Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern time on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Be there to get a look at all of the action we have coming up. Again, 30 regions across the Division I men's and women's action to get a better grasp on all that to know what you should be watching for. Be sure to check out those previews. Before, though, we can start talking kickoff weekend, we have a weekend of results to discuss. So many different storylines as we come out of weekend number two in this 2024 college tennis season. Of course, on the women's side, the headlines are as follows. We saw number one UNC look the part of reigning champion, dominant in wins over top 15 foes in Auburn and Georgia. Of course, a storyline we talked about in the preseason, Oklahoma State hype. The Cowgirls brought in arguably the best class of talent between transfers, freshmen that we see maybe across the country. And boy, did they earn two early signature results, wins at home over Ohio State and Michigan. Of course, those big 10 teams also faced off against Oklahoma and what produced two dramatic 4-3 matches. Beyond that, I mean, we can keep going. UCLA sort of getting a win over Texas. Three fascinating SMU results and so much more as we saw so many different teams make their 2024 dual match debuts. As such, we got a jam-packed podcast for all of you listeners. That's why we felt the need to divide both this episode and our ITA kickoff weekend preview into two separate shows. And that is why I am thrilled to have joining me tonight as he joins me each and every week throughout the course of this 2024 college tennis season. A man who you all know best, excuse me, as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Cracked Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, of course, my co-host on these Deciding Point episodes every Tuesday. It is our dear friend, John J. Parsons, joining us once again. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. I know we had results to recap last week, but now we've got the full menu at our disposal I felt match nerves approaching two all, three all scenarios. Obviously, we had broadcasts on our Cracked Rackets schedule this weekend. I'm feeling all the college tennis vibes, my friend. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, it was just straight shot, no chaser on the women's (laughs) side this weekend. I mean, just jam-packed top 
five matchups, top 10 matchups, top 15 matchups, coast to coast, West Coast, middle of the country, East Coast. It was uh, a lot of fun to follow throughout. And we have a lot to chew on in terms of results and lineups. And it's exactly what you want heading into kickoff weekend. You mentioned it matchups, not one, two top five matchups, UNC, Georgia, Oklahoma State, Michigan, both providing us fascinating data points here early in the season. And shout out to all of the coaches who scheduled aggressively. Again, Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. That was a home and home where the Oklahoma squads made the travel north last year. I love that SMU was able to sneak out a Duke in NC State, a Vanderbilt trio of results this early in the season. And then, you know, again, like UCF, Georgia Tech's here, Duke, Illinois there. To your point, there is a lot to learn from this past weekend. Our first full complement, again, of matches from this 2024 season. And as such, again, let's get right to it. We got plenty of things to discuss. If you're the reigning champion, you earn the number one spot, the pole position in our recap as we get right to talk about what was an outstanding weekend in the college tennis world. And the headline, of course, is things run through UNC. Things run through Chapel Hill here in 2024. The Tar Heels, exceptional, I think is the word we have to use. In their weekend, a 6-1 victory over Auburn, a 7-0 victory over Georgia, a weekend where they didn't, or at least we didn't see, I don't want to say they didn't have because I didn't do any investigation, but we haven't seen uh, Kayar Legatov late. We did not see Yar Legata this past weekend. It didn't matter. The Tar Heels, Taking doubles points, wins at the two and three spots in their first match against Auburn, win at one and two uh, in their matchup against Georgia, meaning every doubles pairing got victories. And by the way, they went back to the well. It was Brantmeyer Scotty, Crawley Tan Gillig, and Forbes Tran, the doubles lineup we saw for the majority, albeit not the NCAA tournament, but the majority of last season. The singles lineup was the same across the board as well. Brantmeyer, Crawley, one, two, Tan Gillig, three, Scotty, four, Forbes, five, Trans, six in the Georgia match. They had Scotty, three, Tan Gillig, uh, four in the Auburn match, excuse me. The big headline is that UNC didn't drop a set in six singles victories against Georgia. They had two sets go to breakers, certainly a 7-5 at the number one spot between Brantmeyer and Vecic, who debuts at this number one spot for Georgia here this year, but... I mean, we got to start with the reigning champs before we talk about the reactions to the other side of things, Jay. That is an encouraging start for a team that Brant Meyer's ending made it a very, very good fall. But I mean, again, like Yarlagata, Trend, no one had a bad fall. I want to be abundantly clear. Did I expect them to win six singles matches in straight sets? I did not. That is an exclamation point to start the season. Yeah, it was dominant. And I'm kind of of two minds on this. On one hand, you look at this and you just go, this team is going to go undefeated this year. (laughs) They're going to be the first women's team to go undefeated since Stanford 2006. They just look head and shoulders above the rest of the teams right now. On the other side, you go, okay, well, this is the exact same team that won the NCAAs last year. And many of them play in the exact same positions They should be head and shoulders above the rest of the competition right now for many teams that have a lot of new pieces that they're working in. Some players in their very first dual match and UNC 
always looks really good in January. So where I land on those two mines really depends on how I'm feeling, but they looked phenomenal in these matches. The not dropping a set against Georgia, it's just, it's blowout city and it wasn't close. So yeah, there's not much more to say other than this train continues to move and we'll have to see if anyone can disrupt it. I have two things off that. And the key word you use, by the way, is right now. The gap between UNC and the rest of the field should be big right now as those other teams' new pieces get up to speed. But I should have mentioned, I mentioned the Tan Gillig Scotty switch. They also let, uh, let, they also had Crawley, Brantmeyer switch off at the one and two spots. Crawley played one and got a straight set win over Caroline and sorry against Auburn. It was a big weekend for Fiona Crawley, who we did not see much of at the college level in the fall and over these past couple of months. Obviously, she had some serious success at the pro level, but to see her come in, get straight set wins, not just uh, over Ansari, but to get a straight set win over Vidmanova as well, it's just a reminder that, oh yeah, that's why she was number one in the country for so long last season after the Weird loss to Kari Miller at All-Americans. Just a reminder that, yeah, she is still that presence in the top two. Good weekend for Brantmeyer. Couple of wins as well. Like, I mean, again, everyone got went 2-0 except for Forbes, who drops a tight one uh, against Auburn. Celine Ovunk in that number five spot, and we'll get to the looks at these lineups in a second. But, I, I mean, again, it's a pass. Like, you're right. The gap should be big given the returning talent they have and the continuity they have, but they take two doubles points and none of their matches were in doubt. Yeah, I mean, the gap is massive right now. And as fans here wondering, like, what team is going to step up? Georgia, with the addition of, of Vekic making her debut, we are interested to see how that would, would go. Yeah, it was not close at all. And yeah, Fiona Crawley, by the way, is going to be trying to get into the NCAA singles draw. So this weekend, massive for her to get two top 30 wins, put herself back in the rankings as she's unranked. The only player in this UNC singles lineup who is unranked. Yeah, I mean, there's really only two things that I'm watching for moving forward in this season with North Carolina, and that is how much... If any, do they regress when they move outdoors? And how much better do the rest of their competition improve between January and May? And how many reps does Rapman get? Because I am curious, again, Scotty, two top 15 matchups you play her this weekend. Are you going to play, you know, Forbes as well, two top 15 matchups you play her this weekend? Does there come a point later in the season where maybe you trust Rapman to step up? Maybe not in a matchup like this, but against a Georgia Tech or someone like that in that sense of fashion. We'll obviously see those choices down the line. On the Georgia side, Vecic 1, Vindmanova 2, Riasco 3, Lapato 4. Then they go experience. They go Gigi Grant 5. They go Minerundorn 6. I mean, again, everyone in that lineup but Vecic has played at least a full season of dual matches. And obviously, look, six straight set results. First match of the season. Maybe you throw that one out in the garbage. I don't hate the con- uh, the pairings they have in mind. Granted, Narundorn, the team with the most continuity, are at two. They split up Vidmanova and Riasco. Vidmanova at one with the freshman Mert. Vecic at three with Riasco. I don't hate those pairings. Again, North Carolina's pretty good. I wonder if they're going to stick with them or go right back to trying something new. Well, this is trying something new, right? Yeah. Because we haven't seen Vekic at all. So uh, pretty much... So this is getting her reps. I think doubles looks 
definitely improved. This was certainly that we t- something we talked about with this Georgia team. They were disaster in doubles last season. You can't be a disaster in doubles if you want to win the NCAA title, if you want to beat North Carolina. I mean, Merton Vidmanova losing to Brant Myron Scotty 6-4. It's like, okay, that's kind of respectable. And then, you know, uh, Riasco and Vekic 5-4 uh, at the clinch, also respectable. So... Some progress has been made. I was surprised not to see their freshman Icicle Mert in singles. I think given the regression we've seen from Gigi, and yes, Mai had a good fall, but I do think the best version of this Georgia team has an Icicle Mert clicking probably at that five spot, and they need to have Gigi back to playing the type of tennis she was playing when she was, what, like 12-1, 13-1 at that sixth spot for them last season. Yeah, I said UNC was pretty good. They're elite. They're the class of the field. You lose a doubles point to them, you never hit the panic button when it's match number one of your season. I would not be shocked if we see some different configurations. Certainly we'll see Merton singles in one of their two matches during the course of kickoff weekend. Speaking of lineups, let's talk Auburn. Obviously, they get knocked off as well this weekend. 6-1, the one win coming from Celine Ovunk. She played number one in their lineup two seasons ago, out with injury last season. She played five in their lineup this year, knocks out Abby Forbes. Uh, straight set losses for them. Crawley knocks out Insari at one. Scotty over the sophomore. DJ Bennett at three. Tan Gillig over the sophomore. Okatoye at four. Riley Tran over the sophomore. Carnicella at six. Three sets ultimately to Brantmeyer, 10 in the third over Arsenault. The big thing, no Carolyn Ansari in doubles. And obviously her and Arsenault have been very good over the past couple of seasons. Okatoye playing with Arsenault at one. Ovon Carnicella at two, and then Bennett Flack at three. Flack, who was in the singles lineup last year, not in there this year with the return of Ovunk. You don't see any freshmen yet for Auburn either. I wonder if that might change later in the season, given some of the talent they have there. What do you think about the Tigers' debut, their lineup? Well, in hindsight, after North Carolina waxed Georgia <laughs> without losing a set, it actually looked pretty good. I thought... Arsenal to go 10-8 in the third against Reese Brantmeyer. I thought Reese played fantastic against Vekic. Uh, the serve, the forehand, it was all working for her. So Arsenal has seemingly stepped up a little bit. The big thing for me on this team was where was Okatoya going to play? We just saw her win 25K title. She's had a lot of success on the ITF Pro Tour. They slot her down in at four. It's a good win for Carson Tangillig, who we didn't see much of down the home stretch of the fall. Tough to say. I mean, it's just hard to benchmark yourself against North Carolina right now. I think they could feel pretty good that they at least got a singles match and something Georgia didn't do. I agree. Big long-term perspective. It's match one. You're in Chapel Hill. And this team has some experience. They're going to try some new things, I'm sure, in doubles early. I'm sure a lot of players are going to get reps. Again, I bet the lineup is probably a little different somewhere throughout the course of their two uh, ITA kickoff weekend matches. If you want to sell your Auburn stock after this result, I'll happily buy it. I guess that's my scoop for them uh, coming out of, again, a 2-0 weekend for UNC, 7-0 over Georgia, 6-1 over Auburn. Let's move next to Oklahoma, where we had a fascinating double duel Friday-Sunday header with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State hosting both Michigan and Ohio State. The biggest headline coming out of it, of course, Jay, the Cowgirls hype is real. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. They were a team we had number five in our preseason rankings. They were number six, I believe, in the ITA preseason rankings. Guess what? They were number five after Texas A&M lost. They had a top five matchup with Michigan on Friday night. They win that matchup, Jay, 4-2 
fantastic match. Comes down to a couple of three setters at the four and five spots. Galamesa Chirito grinding her way out of a losing, de- uh, out of a serious scoreboard deficit to Sophia Carrington. You know, again, Komar on the flip side. She's 4-1 down in the second set. She grinds her way back to a straight set win over top 10 Kari Miller. I happen to be on the broadcast for this match, so I got to see it all for Oklahoma State to see Komar and Obi, who was their number one doubles pairing, lose that top spot, and still they win the doubles. For them to have 10 years of experience, I know Novak and Carrington are the new pairing, the two fifth years, who they played at number three in both of their matches. I'll take that bet, and because again, last year, the duo of Raquel Gonzalez, Ayumi Miyamoto, who are back at the number two spot, they lost just three dual matches last season. Double-digit victories for the duo as well. I mean, that they went one-on-one, one-and-one in doubles, we'll get to in a second. But it was the singles play that we saw across this lineup in each of their matches. And, you know, again, I guess we can get into both matches now. Big picture for Oklahoma. They go one-and-one in doubles. A lot Oklahoma of... State. Oh, Oklahoma State, thank you. Um a lot of energy, a lot of hype in that Michigan doubles point. Things get type at, uh, tight everywhere. They're grind their way through that. Then they kind of get smacked in the face in doubles by Ohio State. And that's where, again, when we get to the single side of things, the fire they came out with in the single session against Ohio State. To see them win six first sets, the break fest that was Miyamoto versus the really talented Taya Chavez at five. But again, even she grinds her way over the finish line, and that's when you kind of knew, all right, this one is over. Two in a week for Lucia Pyre, who we knew uh, coming off of her fall and summer of pro circuit events was going to make a leap forward. She's up to the number three spot. The luxury of having Christina Novak, the fifth year at six, and she played number one for this team last year. I know she goes one and one on the weekend, and that was a credit to Piper Charney's performance on Friday, but that's a luxury there. The steadiness of Miyamoto at five, who comes back from a set down. She knocks out Lily Jones in three to clinch that 4-2 win against Michigan. I mean, again... Obi took a, a rare loss. She loses to Julia Fligner. She drops one game against Ohio State and dropping and bouncing back. Komar 1-0-1. She's facing two top 20 opponents. Like any question you were unanswered, Jay. I know that was quite the monologue, but the Cowgirls answered it this weekend. I really liked what I saw. The hype is real. This is a team that should be competing at home in the final site. And then after that, anything happens. I saw that sort of depth, that sort of fight across singles and doubles. I'm not saying it's a perfect product yet, but they have all the ingredients. Yeah, they definitely have all the ingredients. And I actually expect some volatility from this team. It wouldn't have surprised me if they had looked fantastic in match one and then had a major letdown in match two because the pieces are all relatively new together for this Oklahoma State team. So I think it was very impressive for them to, and you potentially saw some of that in losing doubles, that sort of maybe emotional letdown from beating Michigan and then come out against Ohio State. But they rebound, they act with urgency in singles. I think the po- one of the positives for The Cowgirls here is they got wins everywhere, right? They found wins at doubles. They found wins across the lineup. So overall, very impressive performance from them. The biggest surprise for me from the weekend was Sophia Carrington. I was surprised to see her rolled out at number four, just as I was surprised to see Gala Masachurito at four for Michigan. But 
I feel like we haven't seen that level from Sophia Carrington in a few years. I felt like the serve was working, the forehand. And when she's on, she makes it look so smooth. You're like, oh, she could be the best player in college if I'm just watching this in isolation. And you felt her energy, I think, really reverberate throughout the well, the, the stream in my case. But you could feel it have an impact on the rest of the match. And yes, there were still streakiness there but if she plays at this level this to me takes this team to a whole new level i agree i think she's the x factor i talked about this with head coach chris young who joined me on the cracked interviews podcast last week and i think she's the one who will provide that energy that boost of enthusiasm that extra bit every team needs of intangible quality to get over the finish line in these massive moments. And, you know, we talked about the obvious adversity. You lose a doubles point. How do you respond? They win six first sets. How about the adversity against Michigan? Yes, they win the doubles point. They lost four first sets. Michigan made it a match. Your number two player in the country, Obi Kajuru, loses a match in straight sets. Komar's down 4-1 in the second when all these things, you know, when Lily Jones takes that 7-6 set over Miyamoto and it does feel like Michigan's now kind of on a roll. And again, they responded right away. And Mesa Chirito surviving and not losing to Carrington at four when she was very much in a position to do so, down breaks late in that third set. That's a testament to her, and we'll talk about her in a second. But Carrington clinches against Ohio State the next day uh, against a Shelly Brisniak, who did not lose often last season, and it was her pace that won out. So, yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. And it's the contrast of styles as well. Obviously, Komar, Obi, they're good at everything. But Pyre a little more relentless. Carrington a little bit more powerful. Miyamoto throws the kitchen sink at you. Moonball mm-hmm. and then moves forward and hits the swinging volley. Like, she just does a little bit of everything. And then... Dare I say, the most complete of them all might be Novak, where you're like, okay, I know exactly what I'm getting out of you, which was just steadiness at that sixth spot. They're really freaking good. The hype is real. Like They are a top five team, a team that, given their experience, okay, you ready for a hot take? Given their experience and their, I mean, they play inside at the Greenwood Tennis Center because it gets cold in Oklahoma, that nature of it all. Are they the second favorites going into the indoors? Like, UNC's obviously one. Should Oklahoma State be two after this weekend? Yeah, I was going to ask where you think coaches will have Oklahoma State Mm. in the rankings. I would have them as number two. They feel like an adept indoor team. But you look at the experience, actually, and how many of them have even played indoors. Not many, Mm. right? So they didn't didn't qualify for indoors last season so that's sort of the 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 open question i would say and you know indoors is still a few weeks away there are other teams that you know we had said michigan might be a top contender for indoors if they change some things around in the next few weeks maybe they are in that spot but it's a new experience but yeah they're going to be a, a big threat there's only one tier one team entering the indoors it's unc but at the start of the list of Tier 2, maybe Oklahoma State should be at the top of that list, despite, you're right, their lack of experience competing together. Ten years at the number three double spot. Uh, again, a 2-0 weekend for them. A top five win over Michigan. Good top 15 follow-up win over Ohio State, where they were probably going to win that match 6-1 and sweep all six singles positions. They are on the highest of highs the opposite is what happened down the road in Norman. Obviously, if you are an Oklahoma Sooner fan, 
the word is crushed. I'm sorry, Coach Cohen, Coach Cobra, coaching staff, players, if you're listening to this, but there's no other way to say it. Two heartbreaking 4-3 losses to Michigan and Ohio State, the first of which comes down to a three-set battle between freshman Luciana Perry of Ohio State and transfer from Kentucky, Florencia Arushia of Oklahoma, who had a really good fall. And again, We'll talk about the Oklahoma mechanics of their lineup in a second, but Perry, again, one six seven six six four. She comes back to win that match. They also had freshman Audrey Spencer, three set win uh, at the number six spot, six four three six seven five. Two freshmen coming on the road and earning three set victories in your home uh, in your home soil. That's never where you want to be, especially after they won the doubles point in that match. And again. Then the Michigan match comes. They lose the doubles point, but they're showing outstanding fight everywhere in the singles lineup. And, you know, Catanzarite fights back, straight set dominant over Lily Jones. You had Donna Guzman up a spot in the lineup. She continues to do her thing. Mesa-Chirito's down match points to freshman Chloe Noel. And yet in the end, it's Mesa-Chirito fighting off those match points. 3-6, 7-6, 7-6. I like the aggression of Noel. Again, you had Garcia Ruiz, three-set win over Piper Charney. That was a really good win for the sophomore. They lose the doubles point on this day, but one and one in doubles against two top 15 opponents, about the best you can ask for at this point of the season with the new pieces they're working in. Shishabina won, Arushia two in both matches. They flipped Guzman and Noel in the second match uh, from three and four. Guzman at three in the second. Garcia Ruiz five, Catanza right six. Again, preamble over, Jay. Thoughts on the Sooners weekend? Well, a lot of thoughts because these were close matches. I thought there they was... were exceptional tennis matches. Yes. I thought there was no way Oklahoma was losing this match when they were up 3-2. The last two matches on court were two Ohio State freshmen playing in their very first dual match against much more experienced players in Arushia and Catanza, right? For them to lose both of those matches was a huge testament to the freshman that Ohio State has, but also just not matches that you can lose to Oklahoma. And it's we're not far removed from Oklahoma being the team that won all of these 4-3 matches, right? These are the sort of matches this Oklahoma team has built their reputation on. So it's surprising to see them lose down the home stretch like that. The Ohio State match in particular was that was shocking. The transfers at one and two, Shershabina and Arushia, very bad weekend. Oh and four, mm-hmm. just not what you're looking for when they transfer in. And the energy was bad. It was not what you would expect from an Oklahoma team, not what you'd expect from a number one or number two player at Oklahoma. Now, some of the positives, I thought Guzman, uh, Julia Garcia, and Chloe Noel, I thought all looked very good. And so there were definitely positives to take away there. The match with Chloe Noel and Gala Masatrito was a really fun match, a huge contrast in styles. That's a match you look for Chloe Noel to lose now to win in May. Maybe not against Gala, but other similar matches like that because she showed a, a bravery with continuing to going for her shots, unique style. But yeah, heartbreaker for Oklahoma. A couple of things off of that. A, just the Noel piece. She has a fascinating game style. Likes to yeah, take the ball fun. on the rise, get forward, hit the slice, make you uncomfortable. 
again, her getting coached by Audra Cohen, who was known for anything but that during her career, like I'm just in to see where the development goes from here because it's a lot of different pieces to work with. And so uh, I'm excited to see that. Uh, is she going to get I'm afraid Coach Cohen's going to yell. You know what, Audra? You know where I live. You can find me. Um, yeah, like she got to play Gala Senior, who hasn't lost a clutch match in about a year and a half. Uh, and Sydney Ratliff, who has been a top 50 player maybe since she walked on campus in Columbus, a junior now, and she played them both the three sets. Now, she goes 0-2 on the weekend, but first weekend debut, you got to be pretty happy with that. Shishabina and Arushia are veterans. It's their first time competing in Norman. It's their first time here in the Boomer Sooner, roaring through uh, that tennis facility. And again, it's first weekend, both 4-3, you're playing two veteran – well, I guess, again, you, the freshman piece I already mentioned. But Michigan knows each other so well, right? Like there's just going to be a little bit more trust there down the home stretch, a little more continuity. Like I don't think you hate that loss. It's the Ohio State one that stings in the back of the mouth because it's just two freshmen beat you in third sets, and those freshmen were on the road in their first serious weekend of college tennis. That's the one that stings – I'm not hitting the panic button, though, if I'm Oklahoma. Like, they need to figure out their lineup. And I don't think there's any world where Guzman finishes the season outside the top two. Like, I honestly think she's the best player on that lineup. All due respect to Arushia, Shishurbina. I think it's when, not if. She ascends at the lowest to two. Uh, but after that, like, again, there's a lot of parity on this Oklahoma singles lineup. And there's a lot of new pieces they're working in. I think this team, I would be shocked if anyone... I'm going to say I'll just be shocked if anyone plays in the same positions they played this weekend come the NCAA tournament in May. Yeah, doubles I mean, very, aside, singles, doubles yeah, aside. Very possibly. I mean, I was really surprised when they debuted Guzman there at, what was it? The four against four, Ohio State. Four. That's, because a, I, that's a crime. I'm sorry, but Donna Guzman is just higher than four in any singles lineup. Yeah, I was shocked by that, and I actually think it probably hurt them because the best lineup probably against Michigan would have had Guzman against Fliegner and then Arushia versus Brown because I think anyone was beating Brown this weekend, and they could have gone 2-0 there. But yeah, having her at four, I think she has to be top two. I mean, the performance from Shershabin and Arushia was bad. I mean, yes, the Ohio State match probably hurts more, but Shershabin losing 1-1 one one to Kari Miller. Indoors. It, it just spells you were a mess, right? Yeah. Like you just couldn't put a ball in the court. I'm going to push back on the Jaden Brown point as we transition now. Here's, I guess the last thought would be uh, in a moment, but my last thought would be, I'm not hitting the panic button if you're Oklahoma, right? No, because they are much better today than they were at this trip last weekend. Uh, last year. I agree with you a hundred percent. And it's new, it's new faces, new places in the lineup. Like, First time in two years you don't see Emma Staker in a singles lineup. That feels worth noting. Uh, just a little data point to keep in mind moving forward. But heartbreakers, it, they, were really they were really fun matches and really fun environments as well in Norman. So shout out to Audra. You could feel that energy. I know we neither of us were in person, but you could feel that energy coming through without question through the live stream. And that speaks to what yeah. they've built. And this team will continue to build moving forward. On the other side of things, let's talk about those two Big Ten teams. Let's start with Michigan. Just because, again, they were number four coming into this in the ITA rankings. 
The pushback I would have for the Jaden Brown part, I know she played some singles matches in the fall. Surgery this summer. Uh, again, the Jaden Brown we see in January will not be the Jaden Brown we see in May on the singles court. That is my promise to all of you college tennis fans, Jay. Not saying she's not going to play at the three spot, but I'm telling you she will be better come May. She did go 2-0 and in doubles with Kari Miller. Two good wins over pairings in Guzman and Shishurbina, Komar and Kajuru, who had a lot of success uh, in the course of the fall. And again, for this Michigan team, if they're up 1-0, it's going to be really hard to beat them with the singles depth they possess. And we saw that on display. Now, the biggest winner, of course, was Julia Fliegner. Wins over Arushia in three sets. The straight set win over Obi. She's getting into the NCAA tournament now when you have a win like that on your resume moving forward and stepping up into the two spot to see her go 2-0. and Really encouraging, obviously. And do I need to remind all of you listeners how biased I am? I'm going to be the best man at her older brother's wedding. So obviously it was exciting to see that. But again, it was, you know, it was Kari against Oklahoma. It was, uh, it was Piper against Oklahoma State. It was Gala doing Gala things, and there doesn't seem to be any hangover from last season. She's picking up right where she left it. Your impressions on the Wolverines after they grind out a one-in-one weekend? Well, back it up because you can't just steamroll me with the Jaden Brown stuff. So I said she would have lost to anyone this weekend, and I stand by that. She didn't win more than four games in either match. I also am not buying the... There's something off, and I'm not buying the injury thing because her fall results were better than what she showed this weekend. So I don't know if she re-injured herself, but that was a guaranteed loss this weekend. And so I hope she's better. I hope she's better the next week. I hope she's better by May, absolutely. But that was super concerning, the the level that she displayed in singles. The other... I won't see you on the Jaden Brown. I have nothing to push back at this. Like It was a poor level in singles. She would be the first, I'm sure, to admit that. And again, given that she wasn't playing players with the particularly biggest weapons, it was how off everything felt from a rhythm standpoint. Why I just attribute that to injury is it's one thing to play a fall match post-injury. It's another thing to play a spring dual match. And you're trying to work your way, thing, way through things always in the fall. So even if the results... You know, the, the, I I just think you care less about those results. No, I, well, maybe I, I she just, care I less it's, because it's, she did better in the fall. Look, I'm I'm not going to play the Jaden Brown defense. It was a bad weekend. You're like you're right. She needs to be better in May. I yeah. guess my thought is I would bet on her as a human being to get better come May. Well, the other person you need to bet on as a human being to get better in May is Lily Jones. Yeah, she was. She had a rough. Well, the Miyamoto first set was great. Everything after that was rough. Yeah. And that's a big surprise because she was incredibly successful her freshman year at the number four spot. And we talked about this in the Michigan preview, whether there would be a Lily Jones sophomore surge or sophomore slump. And the fall results indicated a sophomore slump. And these opening weekend doesn't really suggest that that tide has turned. So those are the two down points for this Michigan team on the plus side. Kari Miller continues to have a fantastic season. Julia Fliegner stepping up into the top of this lineup, looking great. Gala moving all the way up to four and still having the success she's having. Great. And Piper Charney, I think, looks really good. And I think there, she's going to have a lot of success down there at the five or the six spot, wherever she finds herself. So there were a lot of positives from this Michigan weekend. And I feel 
Like if I was a Michigan fan, I would feel pretty confident that Jaden Brown improved significantly and Lily Jones at least gets back to the level we saw last season. The most fascinating part was the doubles lineup playing around with that number two spot. Jones and Charney at three, Miller Brown at one, but they go Ross and Miller on day number one. The other Miller, by, by the way, being Reese Miller, Kari's younger sister, the freshman on the roster. Day two, they go Julia Fliegner in that spot. Interesting. Interesting. Did I screw up the day one pairings? Was it Ross and someone else? Uh, day one against Oklahoma State was Ross and No, it was Ross Reese and Miller. Reese Miller. Yeah, yeah and I Jones think you got Charney it right. Both. I was just reflecting on... Reese Miller would not be the consistent uh, I would have expected at that number yeah, two sure. spot. I would have expected they would maybe try Anna Ross and Julia Fliegner instead. But Yeah, no, interesting to see them playing around. You're right. Like Piper probably should have won her match against Oklahoma, and Gala probably shouldn't. And I still think that result goes 4-3 either way. I, to The point being, even though Piper lost that Oklahoma match, I was really impressed with how steady she was across the board. And you're right, to have her at that number five or six spot, whatever it is throughout the course of this season, I I, I bet on the freshman to be a serious contributor in the bottom half of the lineup for the Wolverines. Other side of the equation, Ohio State goes one and one. And I believe someone on this podcast predicted them to go 0-2. And and I believe that someone was both of us, if we're being honest. Um, Look, to drop the doubles point in Norman and win that match and see your freshman win two three-set matches to clinch that match, I don't care about anything else that happened in the weekend. That is a, a successful weekend. By the way, I got to see Ohio State play Oklahoma State in that match. It wasn't Luciana Perry. It wasn't Audrey Spencer. It was Taya Chavez, the freshman, who I was like, oh, my God, what is this power tennis we're playing? And, yeah, it was an up-and-down match, certainly for her against Miyamoto. But, again, give me that to work with for the next four years moving forward if I'm Malicia Schaub. And by the way, she's got three freshmen in her singles lineup, three freshmen spread out accordingly in her doubles lineup. And they went on the road in week number one and played two, all right, one competitive match. And then they win the doubles point before a veteran team responds against them, a top five team at home. I think it's at least a B-plus grade for the Buckeyes, Jay, coming out of things one and one. I really liked moments I saw from all of their freshmen. Yeah, I am very impressed by their freshman class. I mean, I was more familiar with Luciana Perry, top player from the U.S., less so Taya Chavez, who gives me Tatum Evans vibes, who's a UNC recruit <laughs> uh, who will be joining them in in the fall. And on Audrey Spencer, I mean, for her to win that match against Ava Catanza right down the home stretch against Oklahoma, very impressive. For I'm shaking my head just because Taya Chavez, you're getting the wrong vibes. It's Amelia Rejecki vibes. Just trust me. Like, again, I called their match against Oklahoma State. Was there some inconsistency? Absolutely. Was there some just breathtaking, in both singles and her doubles, by the way, when she played with Madeline Atway, which I was surprised to see in the doubles lineup, but good to see the upperclassmen getting some run now and, like, again— Perry and Spencer were the ones who got wins on the weekend. Third sets on the road in a hostile Norman environment. And I like the way, I like the steadiness of Perry. I got to see less of Spencer's, the book's still out on her. But I just like, I watched Taya Chavez. And I think I said it on the broadcast where I was like, all right, mental note. This is a player I'll be monitoring all season because there's going to be some lows. But the highs are also going to be, like, she's going to take a set off of someone where you're like, huh? 
Yeah, I felt Perry was excellent as well. I mean, she was ripping returned winners against Arushia's first serve uh, a lot of times. This, These are three really exciting freshmen, some of which I feel like I didn't really know that well. And so, yeah, this is going to be a much better Ohio State team than I thought they would be. And, of course, they still have the veterans in Kantos and Ratliff and Berezniak floating about. But this is a really solid freshman classic. I'm really impressed with what they have to work with. And I thought in their opening weekend, they really showed out. They need to make some improvement for sure, but the depth is real. Again, mm-hmm. you're going to have to win two matches in a row, not just the one. But they have pieces to work with. And the fact that these players are freshmen and they went on the road again and earned a win like this, you just take note of a group that you're right, didn't have the pedigree maybe of some of their peers coming into this season. And so absolutely winning weekend for Ohio State. Anytime you can play Contos at two doubles, you'll take that. And I, I, I just like what Coach Schaub's thinking. I'll be honest. I love that she goes junior freshman, fifth-year freshman, upperclassman with Atway. I'm blanking on what year she is, freshman as well with Chavez. Like, I just – I like that combination of working everything in, dispersed across the singles lineup accordingly. Ratliff, one and one on the weekend, but her at three. I'll take that proposition against just about anyone and think I have a chance to win that match. Contos, obviously, that at one. Yeah, I, I would like. To, I forgot about the depth in this Ohio State singles lineup. They should be in the same breath. No, because they have three freshmen. Maybe not quite in the same breath as a Florida, as an Auburn, just because more of those players in those lineup have full dual match season experience. But I'm looking forward to seeing this Ohio State team get tested because the talent one through six is certainly there. And uh, I, I'm again to go one and one on a, a first weekend on the road against two top 15 teams, you take that. If you're Coach Melissa Schaub, this is a team that will be sniffing around the top 10. And certainly, the one thing if you're Michigan is and Ohio State is you'd be like, man, couldn't one of us have beaten Oklahoma State and we just get wins over both and then we can get all that big 12 juice that both got the wins over Oklahoma. Again, still a great thing, top 15 school. But uh, yeah, you go on the road, one and one. Those are our thoughts on the big 10 schools. Rest of the way, we're not going to go as far in depth, Jay, but we certainly have many notable matches still to discuss before we start looking ahead towards kickoff weekend on Wednesday's show. How about a UCLA team? That is obviously one of our biggest question marks as we enter this 2024 season. The Bruins, ultimately a win over Texas 5-2. Now, let's be clear, Texas unfortunately playing this match with only four players in the singles lineup. Uh, They were without uh, both Charlotte Shavatapan and Tanya Sasnaskaya after doubles who were out with illness. As such, they default those positions. I don't know why it says 5-2. That doesn't feel right. I feel like it was 6-1, not 5-2, as the score sheet indicates. The one win coming No, it was from- 5-2. Texas got wins at 2-3. and three. Oh, because Pachkaleva got the retirement. I apologize. Mm-hmm. You're correct. I saw it the other way there. There's your answer for the 5-2. So, again, we saw Tien, Fangrang Tien, Reigning NCAA singles champion. She is officially back, officially playing. She gets a straight set win over Zayna Lova. Shout out to Malika Rapalu. Turns out that fall result, real, as she gets a four and six win at the number two spot over Kimmy Hantz. I mean, again, they pushed him in doubles. This came down to a breaker. Bianca Fernandez, the freshman with Fangran Tien, seven six over Rapalu and an ill Sasnaskaya. Texas-USC match ultimately canceled due to weather. So this was the only time we got to see Texas, the only time we got to see the Bruins this weekend as well. Talk me through your thoughts on this one, Jay. What'd you learn? 
Well, Texas probably did a little rain dance to get that USC match canceled if they had these illnesses and we're going to roll out four singles players. Uh, I mean, good to see Rapalu at number two here and get a win over Kimmy Hans, who has been solid throughout her collegiate career and Rapalu solidifying her fall results. Nice to see Zainalova healthy and really push Fungrantian, the NCAA champion. Hard to read too much into this when there's only four players, but also was interesting to note Bianca Fernandez, who had a breakout at the Foreman, Freeman Memorial in Las Vegas just a week ago, debut of number three spot. So it's a very solid UCLA team. And um, I don't know, I'm a little concerned about this Texas team. I'm glad we added the caveat when we were adding in our regrets of the top 10 because things could go pretty south for this Texas team pretty quickly. It's been a tough couple of months for the Longhorns. Again, maybe they in Oklahoma just sold their souls for those 21-22 runs. Maybe that's how it works in college tennis when you try and go after a title, what it drains from the program afterwards. But, yeah, like, I I can't really read anything off of this match because they only have four players. And, like, it was a competitive doubles point, but how healthy was Texas even in the doubles point? And so, again, I like the UCLA lineup on paper far more than I used to. Um, but I, we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams uh, over the course of kickoff weekend for sure. Let's move on now to a team that had a fascinating three course of three matches, excuse me, over the past week. SMU, who took on NC State, Duke, and Vanderbilt. Let's start with the NC State match because I just want to talk about the Wolfpack here quickly. Wolfpack 7-0 victory. They go Zirnarova, Abrams at 1, 6-1 win there. Rejecki, Zimpardo, 6-1 win at 2. They were up 4-3 at 3 with the number 52 team of Broadfoot and Rinchelli. Here's what I'm saying. The system ain't malfunctioning in doubles to start the season. Straight set wins at 5 of 6 spots, much like you anticipated, Jay. Rejecki, Rinchelli, Zampardo, Abrams, Dittman, and then they go Paskowskis uh, at the 6 spot. Maybe that one we didn't quite see coming. Well, I def- No, I definitely didn't see Zampardo at 3. After the fall, Abrams had. Oh, you're right. You had her at four, not three. That's what it was. I apologize. Still, it's a pretty good showing uh, for the Wolfpack, again, to win that convincingly over a team that beats Vanderbilt later on. That We're going to talk about in a second here, but quick reaction to that Wolfpack lineup. Yeah, I mean, uh, and also SMU lost 5-2 to Duke, so relatively NC State looked very strong. Straight set wins across the board with the exception of... Ranchelli at two. You think Zimpardo's at three come kickoff? Uh, come national indoors? Mm, no. You think it gets challenged? Well, I'm. I was shocked SMU didn't challenge that. There's no. There's no justification for Zimpardo at three over Abrams in their opening weekend. Like absolutely none. So I was surprised it didn't get challenged. I don't think she is at three. Uh, at kickoff for indoors. Abrams 19 in the country right now. Zimpardo 116 for those of you at home. But again, SMU 7-0 loss there. You mentioned it. A little better against Duke where they lose 5-2 SMU in that match dropping the doubles point though they did get at the number one spot in both singles and doubles. Straight set win from Caroline McKinley at six over Baronkova of Duke. Taylor Johnson a win over Shavit Kimchi uh, now at the number one spot by the way for the Duke Blue Devils. We're going to talk about Duke in a second, but the final piece here is that SMU, after those two losses, they take on a Vanderbilt squad, and they go and they get a victory 
over Vanderbilt. Uh, SMU ultimately 4-3 win, clinched at the number two spot. 7-6 in the third. Drew Morris knocking out sophomore Bridget Stamble now. No Kayla Cross, obviously for Vanderbilt, a huge development for a team that was hoping to get one of the top freshmen in the country added to their lineup. Still, C.B. Moore, three-set win at the top spot. Anessa Lee back playing at four. Holly Staff at five. You love kind of that, that in theory, that depth. Still a bunch of new pieces to this Vanderbilt squad. Like, I'm looking. I don't know Sonia McCavey. I don't know Valer, uh, Valeria Ray particularly well. They lose doubles in this match. They lose a couple of three. They lose what? They go three and one in three. Uh, one and three, excuse me, in three set matches. Does this tell you more about SMU squad or more about Vanderbilt? Well, I'll start with the positive. And first off, I mean, SMU scheduling these three these three teams oh. out of the gate, uh, incredible. So props to Coach Navolo there for scheduling these. For a team that, by the way, was hot tend last season. Yeah, so they wanted to carry that momentum, Man. and certainly getting this win over Vanderbilt will absolutely help. Unfortunately for them, it's probably going to be a Vanderbilt team that, like last season, that ranking just continues to drop and drop and drop. But on the SMU side, I, I thought they tested Duke. I thought, obviously, the win over Vanderbilt is great. This really, though, tells me more about Vanderbilt. I don't really know what more to say. This is just, this is a Vanderbilt team I've never seen win a close match. Yeah, I, I certainly over this past couple of years stretch, except for the NC State match. They won except, to make the except for, last year. Except for the, I was like that, it's been all downhill since then. This was a tough loss for them early, certainly in a, in a year where they were hoping to have a massive bounce back. And again, when Kayla Cross doesn't, and we're pretty sure she's not coming to school, right? That's the Correct. official word. That's a brutal loss for a team. And again, she was one of the top recruits. We had top newcomers across the country, period. It's a massive win for, again, an SMU team that had been knocking on the door of this sort of feather-in-the-cap win, and they get it now. And so, again, great scheduling. They're rewarded. 4-3 win over Vanderbilt. That 5-2 match against Duke, again, worth mentioning the freshman at one, uh, Shavat Kimchi coming over, uh, or it might be Kimchi, I apologize, coming over from Israel. I'm going to go to the roots uh, here. So. Yeah, you tell me. Shavit. Uh, I apologize, Shavit. Um, I'm not going to speak in an accent. We're not doing that bit here today, listeners, I promise. Um, anyways, I, it almost slipped out again. I would love to. These are my, my people, my culture. Um, anyways, she's at one. Jackson's at two, Coleman three, sophomore Katie Codd, highly touted recruit coming in last year as a freshman. She did not see a lot of action given the experience depth they had. Codd's at four, Bryce Golova played five, Schvetz played six in uh, their most significant matches of the year, which is both that match against, uh, uh, excuse me, that was not the match, the lineup against SMU. In that match, they go Schwetz 5, Baronkova 6 against Charlotte and Illinois. By the way, Duke 4-2 win over Illinois. They go Bryzgalova 5, Schwetz at 6. Same arrangement for them in their 4-0 win over a sneaky solid Charlotte team. Thoughts on this Duke lineup and what tier we should have them in at this point of the year, Jay? How, how far down do the tiers go? I think this is going to be a tough season for Duke. It's obviously very tough when they lose top five, top ten players in Chloe Beck, and they were intending to get Daria Freeman from Princeton to transfer in. So they're riding pretty thin this season, unfortunately. And this is a team that has perennially made the quarterfinals 
finals and semifinals of the NCAAs. That won't be the case this year. So, yeah. But they still have a lot of experience other than Kim Chi at one. I mean, Jackson, Coleman, these are at this point juniors now. So Schwetz and Bryce Golova have been around since 2018, 2019 because of their COVID years and the cancellation of the Ivy League play. So, yeah, it's going to be a down year for Duke. It's an interesting team because there is some experience there. If you get the best version of all six players on their roster, that's a real team. That is a team that cannot just make the Sweet 16. They can knock on the doors of the quarterfinals, absolutely. They are a little thin. You add back and frame into this team, I think they're a top-tier contender. now. Oh, sudden, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, that's what they were expecting to be. You know, Again, if Coleman is your five and you're – Picking your choice of whomever it is uh, at that sixth spot of Schwetz, of Bryce Golova, of the player I'm missing in my brain right now, who was the other player in their line, uh, Katie Codd. Like, now that's a team with the sort of depth you need to be in the national championship hunt this season. In other years, this team might sneak their way to a quarterfinal in this year. I just, uh, you're right. I don't know if they have the depth unless they can find the best version of the, of the players they have on the roster, but Coach Ashworth has done it before. He's done it again. With that said, Jay, we're going to rapid fire through some other results here to end today's show. You ready? I'm going to give you the take. You give me your thought. All right. I yeah, I needed an audible confirmation from you. Head shakes don't work in a, in a, until we're back on YouTube. Um, all right. A&M wins over Abilene Christian, Harvard this weekend, but Morales three-set loss at that sixth spot at Harvard. Are you concerned at all, Jay? Yeah, I mean, that is that is the concern of uh, how does five and six stack up against the best teams in the country. But I didn't look at these results and get concerned. All right, fair enough. We'll move on to the next one. Virginia, a couple of matches early in their season. Here's the lineup they're rolling with. Annabelle Shue, healthy, fit, all the things, she's at one. Heba Shake two, fifth-year Natasha Subash three. Then they go Ziadato, Chervinsky, Collard. That's interesting, is it not? Can I just say, I don't know if it's because I am following things much more closely, you know, now that I am speaking about it weekly. Yeah, sure. But I feel like coaches are getting very creative with their lineups nowadays. Mm. And, you know, you're seeing this a lot more, a lot of schools you could point to, and certainly Shubash at one, at at three is part of that. But very interesting lineup. I want to be abundantly clear. When I called my first women's national indoors, 2020 Chicago, before COVID was a thing, Natasha Subash was one of the five best players at that event. Brianna Schwetz was one of the five best players at that event. I don't get it. What what world are we in where one's playing three, the other's in and out of the lineup for Duke at this point, and they're still in college tennis? Like, not the bet I would have made, 2020 me, at least all of those years ago. But, yeah, that UVA lineup, it will be fascinating to see how it continues to shift throughout the course of the year. Speaking of which, Florida. They get a win over Baylor 6-1. Uh, they take the doubles point, sweeping all three spots. D'Oliviera 1, Briggs 2, Galis 3, Dahlstrom 4, Lopez 5, Dudney 6. No Rodvinska uh, in their lineup at this point. Thoughts on what the Gators rolled out, Jay? Like I said, coach is getting very creative. I mean, we, are, we have now seen 
this season, players gone from playing five to six to one, like an Emily De Oliveira. Players playing one going to six or out of the lineup in a Christina Novak at Oklahoma State. I mean, the volatility is crazy. I gasped when I saw this lineup. I thought, I can't believe they actually did it because it's hard to protest because of the fall that Emily De Oliveira had, the fall that Galis had, but Dahlstrom was really solid for them at one last season. For her to be down at four, Dudney has played in that top three her entire Florida career. I know she's been injured. She was out all fall. Her at six, that's just, it is shocking. But it's hard to protest at this point in the season. It's a real depth, again, everywhere across the board. And that brings me to my next team, Jay. Tennessee. I told you this pre-podcast. I always say if you're going to say it privately, say it publicly. I thought this team, for some reason, you know, again, the thing I missed most in prepping for this podcast, and someone please share this with her if you know her, I miss seeing Daria Kutzer three set results just in my timeline of things I go through every day because that was a staple of my life for these past five years. This Tennessee team might have seven number four singles players on their roster, but that gives them the exact chip on the shoulder they need. And obviously, they're playing a Wake Forest team that is not a top 25 team right now. But Cabezas, Wolfberg, Olia, Tomase, Molinaro, and Zalota, they might all play in every different spot. I like that team, Jay. Like, that is a team that should be competitive for a top 16 seed. That's too much experience and too much talent everywhere. Yeah, I was surprised to see Tomase down at four, uh-huh. given she had been so successful for them last season in that top three. But yeah, it's very similar to San Diego, where I feel like you could play any of those players anywhere. You have a yeah. few teams like that this season where the gap between these players is pretty much non-existent. And so any sort of lineup is going to be uh, interesting to see. We'll talk about this in a few days, but they have a fascinating kickoff region. So we're going to learn a lot more about this Tennessee team and how successful a strategy of having seven number four players really is. I forgot they got Cabezas and Wolfberg to add to the mix as well. And just, again, take the doubles point against Wake, a team that's been pretty good at doubles over the years. That one was fascinating. Last few here for you. Tough start for Georgia Tech season continues. They had a rough outing in Ann Arbor for that individual event, and now they drop a tough one to UCF. UCF 4-0 decision in the opener against Georgia Tech. It's not just that Georgia Tech lost the match. Carol Lee was down a set and five all. Bill Chev was in a third. They lose straight set matches at positions three through five, and then again, Sher Burr is in a third set on six, like, it was a comprehensive loss uh, for the Yellow Jackets, a team where, again, you feel like with Lee, Bilchev, Mahak, Jane, like some of the other experience they have, they should be better than this out of the gates. Now, I don't know as much about this UCF team as clearly I'm going to need to, but that one was an eyebrow raiser. Yeah, I mean, either UCF is a world beater or yeah. something is seriously going wrong at Georgia Tech. And we're going to have to monitor the situation. We'll find out more, but just another shocking uninspiring yes Unins- shockingly uninspiring yeah. performance from the yellow jackets well said all right usc snowhan one emma charney two aaron cayetano three grace piper four lily Faircloth five imi haddad six in their 7-0 win over lmu i still don't think we've seen their final permutation jay thoughts on the trojans initial lineup 
Well, they love to start Snohan so high in that yeah, lineup. <laughs> like every year they do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm interested to see how successful their freshmen are. A lot of those pieces we know now, and I'm curious to see how Charney solidifies her fall. She'll definitely be playing t- top two, maybe top three in that lineup. So more questions about USC. Again, another fascinating kickoff weekend region that we'll chat about. Yep. All right, last three. Just an observation. Ackley won, Hamner two in a couple uh, li- uh, matches they've played thus far. Deserved. Right. No games there. All right, fair enough. Washington, 4-3 over Memphis in Honolulu. They still have Saker. They still have Sarah Montfontaine. They still have Astrid Olsen. They still have some pieces, Jay. They're hosting indoors, so we'll see them there. Are they going to be as frisky as they were last year? Not as frisky. All right, fair enough. Last but not least, I just want to say I saw Wisconsin's 6-1 scoreline against James Madison, so I went to go click on the lineup, and I'm always intrigued by this Wisconsin. The Cataldi's at two. You have my attention. Again, they go Shalakova at one. They didn't play Shinyu uh, Tsai in the singles lineup. They have Rosie Garcia-Gross transferring over. She's at six. Like That's some experience there. I'm intrigued is all I'm saying. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I feel bad for Wisconsin. It seems like they got the boot from North Carolina and Auburn rotation this year. Last year, <laughs> they funny. got to play Auburn and UNC, and they all went down to Auburn. And this year, they were on the outside, certainly looking in, playing James Madison. So, yeah, we'll see how they do at kickoff. Sick of me praising Kelsey McKenna, uh, which seems to happen every time Wisconsin comes up or I bring them up on this show. That's it, Jay. That's everything I got from week two. Any final thoughts? Are you ready to plug kickoff weekend? Yeah, let's plug. All right, coming up, folks, Wednesday with John J. Parsons. We are going to go through all 15 of the regions that we have on ITA Kickoff Weekend. Obviously, we're going to do that live as well on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. Again, we'll run you through the matches you need to know. We'll speak with more depth about our broadcast schedule, what that looks like specifically. But I can tell you all, 20 regions signed up for our kickoff coverage that will be spread out across both our Crack Rackets YouTube channel and a couple of Crack Rackets broadcast on ESPN+. Plus. Who's going where? What that all looks like? Again, we'll have those details for you as soon as we get to kickoff weekend. But Jay, it's the symbolic start of a new college tennis season, that ITA kickoff weekend. All the best teams in the country, Sons, Columbia, Washington competing. This is when things get rocking and rolling. This is when we stop sleeping. The next month stretch, Jay, is one of those stretches where I'm like, please have hair at the end of it. Well, you certainly are going to be doing like a cross-country road trip between Seattle and New York. You'll be all over the place. Yeah, I mean, a few things. One, I'll mention this on the Wednesday show, but if any of you listeners don't have an ESPN Plus subscription, get it now because there's going to be a lot of tennis on ESPN Plus. It's so important that you tune into these matches. You can put Gruskin on mute. It's fine. (laughs) Just get your eyeballs on this coverage. It's important and more viewership now means more coverage in the future. So please, please do try and prioritize that. Again, you can put Gruskin on mute. Uh, the next thing is that I'm excited to hear what categories you have for us in our kickoff weekend draft. You like to throw in some fun ones for how we'll break down those 15 regions. So I'm excited for it. And I think we'll have lineups to discuss as well. So it's certainly all happening. 
Yeah, we again, uh, as soon as I think of those categories this year, Jay, you will have them in your text, I promise. But a thank you to you as for always for taking the time to join me tonight. A thank you as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, as well for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our podcast broadcasts possible. Again, Wednesday, not only will we have a podcast for you, we will be live on our YouTube channel. So tune in to our ITA kickoff weekend preview, 9 p.m. Eastern time. With that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.